You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am really honored to be joined by Susan Maros, author of the new book, Calling in Context. Now, calling seems to be a very common question in our faith tradition. What is God inviting me to do? What is calling exactly? How do I know what it is? At different life stages, how do I sort of work through my calling? And so Susan wrote this really cool book on calling, taking in our context as people as central to helping to answer that question. So we have a really great conversation for you today. Now, before getting into that conversation, I do want to share just a few of the exciting things that we have going on here at Rua Space. First, friends, I do now offer one-on-one spiritual direction in person and via Zoom. So I work with all budgets, and this is a space to explore your your story. Questions such as, what is my calling? How does God speak in my life? What sort of disciplines and practices can I incorporate? You know, you don't necessarily have to have something going wrong in your life to go through spiritual direction. This is an ancient practice in the church of walking together on this journey to be like Jesus. So in the description show notes below, you can find a link to set up a free call where we can discuss spiritual direction, what that would look like, and then get going. Also, we now have a major component of our ministry is Christian yoga. Combining movement with breath work and prayer It's something that's changed our lives and believe it can have a great impact on yours as well. And so you can check out our free classes on our YouTube channel at the link below and also our memberships where we have lots of classes for all levels, all types, varying lengths, all designed to help you stretch your body and your faith, combining postures of prayer with breath work, scripture, meditation, and more. And then finally, friends, if you have enjoyed this podcast and are looking for ways to support the ministry, we would love if you would consider joining us and supporting us over on our Patreon page, where for just $5 a month, you help the ministry continue, you help keep the mic on, bringing you interviews such as this one, and you gain access to lots of really great exclusive content, including a monthly live event, as well as all the series that we've done there previously, from Psalm 23 and Imaginative Prayer to Revelation, People of Lent, and more. So friends, we would love if you would consider joining us in one of those spaces. You can find links to all of that below. And once again, we are so glad you're here today for this conversation with Susan Maros. I pray that it is a blessing, a challenge, and an encouragement. Susan, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Such an honor to have the time to talk with you today about calling. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate that we were able to kind of finally work out the time, you know, when life, life things came up. So we've been emailing a lot, but, but we are here and, and we are ready. And, you know, I appreciate this book about calling because this is something that throughout my life I had and have wrestled with. And one of the basic feelings I got from your book was a sense of freedom a sense of an anxiety-free way of exploring our calling with God. Was that sort of your experience as you've worked through calling as well? Uh, Not my experience, 
But I'm so thrilled to hear you say that that was your experience with the book, because that's where that's part of where I hope to get to. You know, my experience, my own experience was much more filled with anxiety. Am I, how do I know? And what's my call? And am I going to miss it? And has God directed me somewhere and I haven't seen it? And so that that's my own personal experience. And that's been my experience with people thinking about calling also is this sort of like a hamster wheel of anxiety. Am, am I going to miss it? Am I going to miss it? You know, what is it? I need to know. I need to know. And that that was a basis why I was writing the book and hoping to help people walk into a less anxious experience of it. Yeah, absolutely. No, and 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 just to be clear, my experience has often been what you were describing as well. But as I've come to sort of learn about what you're talking about in the book and begin to implement it, that experience has shifted somewhat. And not mm-hmm. to say the anxiety doesn't come back still, I think that's part of being human, but uh, I, I look forward to exploring some of what you did in the book because I think others can find that same sense of freedom. So when someone first comes to you and, and shares that exact thought that you just shared, oh my goodness, did I choose the wrong career? What is God's calling? I don't wanna do the wrong thing. What first comes up in your mind? And then what do you offer to them? Well, what first comes up in my mind now is you are so normal. Like this, this is a normal human experience and anxiety that you have. Also, what comes up in my mind is you probably hope I have a simple answer for you and I don't. And so how do I, how do I engage you in a way that's helpful to help you move forward? Um, without setting myself up as the guru who's now going to give you the the indispensable surefire method for discerning your call you know so there's all of these things that go through my head as people are asking those questions um it depends really and how i respond to people depends on how long i have with them right is it sure. is it a 5 minute conversation oh i hear you you're writing a book on calling so you're going to tell me how to know my call right you know is it that conversation which the short answer is, well, actually, no, I'm not. What I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge the, the pressure to know and the expectation that you have to have a moment of knowing or it's not legitimate call. I'm going to challenge those things. So that would be a, a, my super short answer in that given moment. And then it, what else I say, it's the whole book, uh, you know, the whole conversation of, Okay, so let's reflect on what have been your experiences? What are the exemplars in your context? What biblical models are important to you? Um, How have you seen God work across a lifetime? You know, so there's a whole rhythm and set of reflections that then, then depending on how long I have to talk with somebody about it, I might reflect on some of those things. Yeah, and I really appreciate how you sort of began to mix together our own personal stories and who God made us to be, our communal context, as well as even the scriptural context of calling. And so one of the things that stood out to me was reading through some of your biblical models of calling or or stories of calling. You know, you end by saying, this is one of the reasons why the, you know, in italics, biblical model of calling doesn't exist. Can you take us into how you came to that conclusion and what that means for people then? Okay. Well, that was a long process and and probably the short way to tell what was a, you know, process 
process how life is, right? Where, where you're exploring something and it, it's more like a plate of spaghetti than it is a straight line, you know? So this was that kind of process, but to express it uh, more succinctly, coming from a conservative evangelical background, scripture was my cornerstone. You know, this is my foundation and any concept and wrestling with anything about life has to come back, has to come from scripture, has to come back to scripture. So that was part of it was, it was a starting point of what is significant about what is said in scripture and what are the exemplars. Then there was also the layer of uh, the research that I did. And I would ask people, part of uh, my research protocol was I would ask people to list all the people in scripture that they thought of who were people who were called. And that was a really interesting process. Um, And what I saw both in the research itself and in processing it, and then using my findings to talk with additional people, work with students in the classroom, is that there there are sort of these top tier, in a sense, called people, you know, that people think of the most often, Paul, Moses, Abraham, David, the disciples, right? They are called people. But what about Nehemiah? What about Timothy? What about Ruth? What about Esther? You know, what what about um, Joseph? You know, there are a lot of people in scripture that God uses that we don't think of as exemplars. And so exploring that, why, why do we say Paul and Moses were clearly called, but we don't tend to think of Priscilla and Aquila? You know, why is that? Um, and exploring that to understand some of the, the mental models and assumptions that come with that, some of the theological traditions that come with that. Um, as well as just the the experiences that people have. And so to a certain extent, exploring that scriptural content with people is, first of all, if, if folks are like me and they come from a conservative evangelical background where scripture is a, a really significant part of their discipleship, I'm going to need to, if, if I'm going to try to help them discover that they have contextual experiences, cultural experiences that have shaped their assumptions, I'm going to have to do it coming out of scripture, right? So, so that's been a part of it. So let's, let's dive into scripture and look at these, look at these stories and think about these stories. And it's helpful to have aha. So, so using Nehemiah as an example, you know, was Nehemiah called to do what he did? Why would you say yes? Why would you say no? And often people would look at Nehemiah and say, well, well, no, because we have no record of God told him to do it, right? So, so right there, we get into an assumption. Well, it has to be God told. So is it always God told? You know, what does that look like? Um, or so a yes is because clearly his heart was moved, right? Deeply, deeply moved. And, and he cried out to God to say, help me. I, I, want, I want to engage this. And so why is that significant? And, and what cultural assumptions are there that, that say that being deeply moved in our souls is, is indicative of God's calling. Um, those are kinds of reflections on scripture that they can be just so helpful for bringing assumptions that we have to the surface and recognizing there there's all sorts of different ways that God has invited people in, to participate with God's work in the world in scripture, all kinds of ways. Let's not narrow it down to, Paul and Moses and Abraham and David and the disciples, and that's it. You know, there's there's all these varieties. So is it possible that you don't have a burning bush, but you do have 
people visiting from something that brings an issue to your attention, like with Nehemiah, that you are moved and maybe that's God's call. Mm, I think that is so good. And it is something that I have discovered to be true in spiritual disciplines and spiritual Mm -hmm. practices as a whole, that it's very easy, you know, like we teach Christ-centered yoga, for example, and, you know, wherever people fall on that, um, one of the things we come up against a lot is, well, I can't do that practice because I don't look like that person, or I can't do it in this way. And you can even say it about centering prayer or meditation. Well, I just keep having thoughts come in, or I don't have the feeling that they described. And one of the things that has become central for us is saying, it's not about looking like someone else, but it's about a deep, real experience of God. And that seems to be a little bit of of what you're saying is that it's going to come about in different ways for different people, depending on your own story, your context, your community, your background. And I don't know, I find that really freeing because it's sort of widening um, the umbrella or the boundaries, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would God only work one way? You know, when, since when has God made God's people cookie cutter? You know, there isn't one single expression. So why would God only call people one way? Right. Absolutely. Well, and and for me, at, at one point, too, in my life, you know, I felt like the calling question, and, and, I, and I'd love to know your sort of um, take on this. This is where I've sort of come to land, but, you know, feeling like, okay, there's door A and there's door B, and behind one is God's calling for me, and behind the other is a bad door that's only going to re- lead to bad things, and evaluating, quote unquote, the two doors or the 15, whatever there could have been, coming down to the question of, does one draw me closer to God and love of God and others? And does one draw me further away? And I've sort of come to the place of, hey, if both are invitations to love God and love others, I'm not sure God cares which one I walk through. And it, and if God does care, do we believe that God can make that clear to us? See, I think that's part of our anxiety is we think somehow God is standing at a distance with a, with a checklist, you know, examining our lives. You know, did you, did you choose the right one? No. Well, that's the end of that. You know, I can't use you or, or like somehow we can make a wrong choice and, and God is in heaven going, Oh no, what do I do now? Oh, I, I, I can't possibly make this right. You know, we have these sort of ridiculous images of what God can and cannot do. And this, this very stern taskmaster sort of way of thinking about calling, like, like God is just waiting for us to do the wrong thing. And then God will Mm. abandon us, which is not how we see God in scripture at all. You know, even, even if you want to, to wrestle with the, the expressions in scripture of God's wrath, which are difficult to wrestle with, those, even those in, say, in Israel, as God is calling out and sending prophets, we're talking about a span of a thousand years, almost a thousand years of history, where God is saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. It's not a one strike you're out sort of experience. Mm. So, so when we have two doors or 15 doors in front of us, well, so what if we do make a mistake and we choose the wrong one somehow? You know, we're mistaken or we're willful or we're fearful or any kind of motive. Why do we assume that God can't work with that? 
Look at look at David, look at Paul, look at the disciples, look at uh, over and over again in scripture, we have people who make poor choices, who who have some serious consequences to those poor choices. But it takes a while for God to say to us all, I've rejected you from being king. It, there were multiple opportunities Saul had to choose the right door. It wasn't a one strike you're out kind of situation. So so I, I like your your rubric of you know which what invites me closer to God. I I would I would use a little bit different language, but I think it's in the same it's in the same vein. It's what is my sense of what's the next faithful step? You know, am I am I making this choice out of my best sense of this is what's obedience right now? This is what's faithfulness right now. Right. Then I, God can work with that. You know, even if we're one hundred percent utterly mistaken. God can work with that. And it's not God's call. God's work in the world is not so fragile that it's broken by our mistakes. Mm, That's that, that's a good quote. I think we need to pull out here because I think that's so key and, and such good news, I think, because we do put so much pressure on ourselves. Not only is the choice itself anxiety provoking, but then the choice about the choice just makes the whole thing feel so impossible. And I have had times in my life where I feel like, yeah, God is really inviting us as a family to this, to this place or to this one thing, but there's other times it feels open. And I almost feel like God has been saying, do which one is you're passionate about right now. Do the one that, that brings you life. And it, it reminds me that in, in the book, you know, you talked about how calling is more of a process than a destination. And that also felt really helpful. So can you take us into what you mean by it being a process rather than a destination? Sure. Um, some of that is rooted in my understanding of Ephesians 2.10. You know, that we're God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance to be our way of life. That's my, that's my amalgamation of more than one version. That's not a specific version. But, you know, that sense of there are things in the world for us to do that we've been created for. There's also things that have been created for us. If I, if that makes sense, you know, that it's both worse, God has shaped us to participate in the world, but also God has made spaces in the world that, that we will contribute to that, that are particular to who we are. And, and in that reflection with that as sort of a, a, a starting point, um, I draw, I drew initially as I was working and teaching from the work of Bobby Clinton, who was a longtime professor of leadership at Fuller Seminary. And his framework of uh, leadership emergence theory, he talked a lot about lifelong development. And so that, that was a, a, a very influential idea for me. It was significant for me personally as a 20 something person. Uh, person, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to change the world for Jesus and, and life wasn't quite happening the way that I anticipated or expected. And so, so it was really helpful for me to get a hold of the idea, one, that I am God's unique creation created to do something and, and that it is a lifelong process, that there's development across a lifetime. And the more that I saw that for myself, the more that I saw that in scripture, the more I saw that in people's lives, that really God shapes and forms us even before we're born. There are things that are shaped and formed about our context, about our family, about where the world is, um, about our 
our faith traditions that, that we may be born into or that we encounter and how those have developed. There's just so much that God is shaping. And then God begins early in our lives, you know, to, to shape who we are, to shape our, our temperament, our personality, our experiences, um, the ways in which people have their fingerprints on our lives for good and for ill. And God is present in that and using that. So, so from, from our earliest days, all the way through the whole of our life, I think we too often focus on calling as that single trajectory deciding moment of decision. You know, I, I heard, I was at a youth meeting and there was a call to service to God. And I heard God speak you know, you're to be a pastor. And I went forward acknowledging that call. And then I went to school and off I was pastor. And then I pastored for years, right? That, that story is a really powerful cultural story and a powerful cultural expectation that there's that one moment that we know, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And that does happen. There are people for whom that happens, but that's not everybody. And that's not the only determining factor I see. And even with the person who has that moment, I see the maturing over a lifetime and the, the changes that happen across a lifetime of development and formation and the ways in which that sense of calling is nuanced and matures and takes different shapes and patterns. And you know, or maybe you sense a call to being a pastor does that necessarily mean a pastor in a local congregation? What about chaplaincy? What about a, a, a role that is pastoral in another context? Uh, you know, people who midstream go back to school and become a therapist, for example. You know, it's there's it can evolve and emerge, even if there's sort of that trajectory moment. It still evolves and emerges, but but for people who don't have that moment it's a lifetime process. God is going to lead and guide. It will, there are moments of clarity. There are moments where we learn about ourselves. There are moments where we, we have a deeper understanding of who God has made us to be. Uh, and that's a lifetime, a whole lifetime process. Yeah. And that's, ex to me, that's expanding God's voice and God speaking in our life because I don't know many people who have had a Paul experience, right, <laughs> of, of his change and people who have a David-like experience where a prophet comes and is like, it's you, right? Um, even for someone like you said, this hypothetical pastor who has this experience at a, at a place and says, that's God's calling. So then uh, culturally and, and within our traditions, we expect it, as you're saying, to be that. But what if God's voice is speaking through all of our story, right? I mean, that's, I'll never forget, there was a pastor once in a sermon, and I think he was talking about the story where Jesus, you know, looked around, you know, some translated as indignantly or with anger or whatever at the religious leaders, because he was going to heal some, right? Right. And instead of acting out in anger, as we might think, he heals the man. And this pastor posed, he said, you know, maybe your deepest passions are God revealing to you your calling as if your story and God built it in? So to me, then that means God speaks in a lot more ways than just, oh, I, I heard a voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and so how would you invite someone then to begin to look into their story, to begin to say, okay, maybe I don't have to have a one-time example. How do we begin to listen to our story and our context well? Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of things. Um, yeah. I, reflecting on your story, you know, um, I do a lot of work with my students, having them reflect on aspects of their history and their experience, writing it out, telling the story, um, writing an autobiography, um, reflecting on what are, what are moments where they had a sense of vocational discernment? Um, did, did they have a moment or, or to reflect on seasons of life and looking at what were the themes, what were common threads that were present. Um, now, that even how I phrase that presupposes you've had some life experience. So a 20-year-old doesn't have as much to look back on and reflect on, right? So, so even how I would suggest a person process that is somewhat dependent on where they are in, in their season of life. So the 20-year-old, I'm, I'm more apt to ask questions about who are the heroes in your church or your, your theological community or your faith community? Um, who are the heroes in your family? Uh, who are your personal heroes? What resonates to you about those heroes? Because I, I find th there's this dynamic that we tend to be drawn towards the stories of people that in some way resonate with something that God has put in us, right? So, so it's who, who's your hero? And what kinds of things do they do? And I, I think there are some hints and indications in that for younger people. Who, who's who are your um, who's your favorite Bible character and why? You know, who if 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 you could be anybody in Scripture uh, aside from Jesus, we're going to take that one off the table because everybody knows the answer is Jesus. But you know, if if you could be anybody in Scripture aside from Jesus, um, who would that be and why? You know, so to do this kind of reflecting on. What are, what are their personal stories? What are their community stories? What are their family stories? What resonates with them? You know, notice the common threads. What, what are those dynamics that you see there? And then go try stuff, go explore, you know, do take different jobs. Take, do you have an internship opportunity? Go for it. You know, where, where, um, where are availability opportunities for volunteering? in your church, in your community. Now I recognize that, that there's also a socioeconomic component of this and, and how much uh, time and resource we have available to do interning and volunteering and, and you know, short-term trips or events, these kinds of things really depends on the circumstances of our lives. But, but I still advocate for experimenting, for having that sort of, let me try stuff out. And, and just allow it to emerge. Trust that God is with you and is working with you. Allow it to emerge. Now, an older person or somebody who has a decade or two or five under their belt is going to have more of life to reflect on. So reflecting back, okay, how, how have you encountered God? Can we identify some threads of the experience of your life? But also, again, I, I do advocate for who's your community? What are the stories of your community? And what's your community's sense of calling? Uh, one really big difference that between a, a US American kind of individualistic way of thinking about calling, which is what tends to dominate, and, 
and a more collectivist sense that that's present in in a lot of other parts of the world and in groups in the U.S. also. But um, is it is whether we see it as I need to identify my passion and what God has called me to do. That's the more individualistic sense or the collectivist sense of my group has a need and my group is saying this is where we need you to to be of service in the group. And, and at least in the United States context, the notion that the group calls the calling out of you, that the group identifies the calling is, is almost a completely foreign concept, depending, depending, it's, that's a really broad statement for the U.S. There, there's some context in which that's much stronger, but I've even had people react against that saying, well, that can't possibly be God. That's just your community. And it's like, well, that's an interesting assumption you have there about the nature of community and the nature of culture and how God works, maybe, and in my mind, I don't say this to people, but in my mind, I think, let's go back and look at Israel because there's an awful lot in the Old Testament about the community and being a member of the community is what identifies you as a person of God. Uh, We need to, maybe, maybe we should think about that a little bit. So the, these are some of the kinds of things that I encourage people to reflect on. Yeah. It, you know, it reminds me of the word uh, angel in Greek being messenger, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the, the heavenly being, right? But sometimes I've wondered, maybe these messengers are other people, right? And we describe them mm-hmm. as a messenger bringing that word of God. And so, again, I feel this expansion of the ways in which God can speak to us not just through our own mind, although certainly through our mind, but through that experience, through our community, through what they're going through. Um, for you, in writing this book, you brought in a lot of stories of other people, and you talk a lot about listening. And mm-hmm. so I, I was wondering for you, and, and as we're as you're encouraging people to listen to others, um, and, I, and you are listening to people from very from varied backgrounds who look like you, who look different than you, who believe like you, who may not believe like you. What sort of pushback did you feel internally as you were listening to all of these stories? Because obviously you, be, you listened well, but did you notice any pushback that you sort of had to overcome? Oh, sure. Uh, I Early on in the book, I briefly told the story of my Malaysian colleague. Um, we were we were going through uh, doctoral studies together. And, and so I was wrestling, wrestling, wrestling with the literature on calling and talking to her about it. And she made this offhand comment of, yeah, I don't really like reading American books on vocation. You know, they're just, they're just so American. And, and that's an instance where it just was sort of this screech, you know, in my brain of, wait a minute, whiplash, jar moment, you know, disorientation. What, what do you mean they're, they're U.S. American? Isn't, if we're talking about something biblical, isn't that universal? What, you know, so, so there were moments like that for sure, absolutely, where it was this jarring disorientation of bringing my assumptions about, about what is true and what is good and what is God, you know, that, that something happened that provoked that assumption to come to the surface where now I saw it as an assumption and saw that it wasn't a shared assumption or a time um, I was meeting with a group of pastors from South Africa and we were going around the table and people were sharing their called stories. 
And they kept using the phrase, when I received my call, you know, as they would tell the story, when I received my call, when I received my call. And I was interpreting that as that moment that I determined God had called me to X, Y, Z. You know, that's how I interpreted it in my head. Fortunately, I had with me a friend and colleague um, who had worked in another area in Africa. She had worked in Ghana, but but she had least been in Africa, which I'd only briefly visited. And afterwards, she said to me, now, did you understand what they were saying? And I think so. She said, no, no, you, you need to understand. What they were saying was when my community determined I was called. Mm. When they said when I received my call, it was when my community determined I was called. And that was another probably less jarring, but it was another instance where there was sort of this moment of shock or reorientation of, oh, oh, that's different. And let me, let me ponder that for a while. So there've been a lot of those kinds of stories, certainly as a, as a U.S. American of European descent myself, as a white person in the U.S., um, listening to stories of different people's racial, ethnic, cultural backgrounds and experiences, there've been lots of moments of, oh, that's really different than I thought was what the world was like, or listening to people from different socioeconomic backgrounds um, and, and that how that has shaped their understanding of calling, you know, and, and the times where I, I was jarred, disoriented by what I thought was a quote unquote biblical view. And I saw from this other person who I could clearly see was a fo- lover of God, a follower of Jesus. They had a very different experience and different perspective Oh, oh, I guess that wasn't such quite an universal biblical view as I thought. Mm. So, yes, I had lots of those experiences and still do. Um, But they're so fruitful because I I see more of the manifold wisdom of God, right? The many colored, diverse wisdom of God in in those stories. And they enrich my story so much uh, that it's to me, it's worth it's worth the jar. It's worth the disorientation for the glory and the beauty of seeing more and more of God's diverse work. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful. And I bring it up because in our context today, and there's people listening to this from all over, so your context may be different. But if you're on social media, th- this is happening to you. Um, we are being siloed, right? To only see and hear those who already think like us. and I think that's dangerous, obviously, on many levels. But what I what I like in, in you sharing those stories and hopefully what people are hearing is sometimes bringing in voices that are very, very different than you that are going to challenge you, make you uncomfortable, may actually be one of the routes to you under, beginning to understand more of God's call because maybe God wants to get you out of the small box that we end up being put in by our world, by our fear, um, whatever it may be. and. Then as you were sharing this, you know, one of the thoughts that that came to me was, okay, let's say someone has a very clear call or they felt like, hey, my journey has taken me here, but then a change comes. And mm-hmm. I know that there, the question can come up for people and it's not just in ministry. You could have gone to school to be an accountant or you could be a teacher or whatever. Right. And you say, well, I, I, I don't know that I want to or should be doing this anymore, but, but this was my calling. So what do, what do I do? You know, what, what might you say? Yeah. Well, 
part, well, so there's a pastoral part to that, right? You know, and when people are disrupted, you want to accompany them and you want to hear them out. So, so there is that component. And, I, and I, so I want to preface my thoughts about that with that, with that piece. So I don't, I, I don't want to just immediately launch into analytical mode. Um, I want to, I want to be present with them and with their concern, with their anxieties and helping, helping them. I think by listening, right. It helps them hear their own hearts about those, those concerns and those anxieties. Uh, one of the thoughts I have about that sense of, well, I prepared for this. I thought this was my call is, is the ways in which we narrowly define calling as a role or as an occupation or as a job or a career. And that is an incredibly narrow definition of calling. Now that's really important for a lot of people. Um, and, and that's, and that is part of the life choices that people are making, you know, and that's why our 18, 20, 22, 20 somethings are, are asking, you know, what do, what do I want to be when I grow up? Not realizing that 40 year olds and 60 year olds are asking what they want to be when they grow up too. Um, which is maybe not an encouraging word to a 20 year old, <laughs> but that question keeps recurring. Uh, so there, there's life stage things, you know, where, where people are trying to decide what kind of job they want to pursue and, and how are they going to make a living and put a roof over their head and food on the table and, and so forth. And, and that's an important process. And I think God cares about that. What I challenge is the narrow definition of, you know, I went to school, I became a CPA, I was an accountant. I felt like that's something I was called to. And now I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. My first point of, of question or exploration is, have you too narrowly defined calling to the specific task, to the specific occupation? You know, could it be that there's something, can we dig under about accounting? You know, is there something about that that you love? You know, you, you love numbers, you love order, you love fiscal responsibility, you love, you know, what is it? What is it that resonated with you about that? Um, what is it that's provoking burnout right now? Is it really that this is not your calling or is it that you're in a situation where you're being pressed into ethics that don't line up with your sense of faithfulness and to, to kingdom ethics? Is it that you are personally burned out from working too hard and, and you, you, know, you haven't engaged in sustaining rhythms and practices that sustain your soul? Could it be, you know, it could be any number of things, right? So, so it's, it's less about, oh my goodness, did you make a mistake or, okay, the calling has ended. It's more about, so where are you in process and, and what else might God be doing or, or what could be in how you thought about that role in the first place that might indicate a, a shift. So do you, instead of being a CPA, might you move into nonprofit work, for example, you know, is it, is it location that needs to shift or is there, are you becoming really aware of socioeconomic injustices in your environment? And that's, what's causing some sort of internal dissonance. And could that be the work of the spirit stirring you up because God is preparing you for a shift? So there's all sorts of things that could be in that context. It, mindful of that story, can I can I share a, a, a particular story? A colleague of mine, who yeah, um, who as a very young child, 
she felt a sense that God had spoken to her that she was to be a pastor's wife. So she's a child and she has a sense. This is what she's supposed to do. She grew up in a pastoral home and this was, this was her sense. She was going to be pastor's wife. So sure enough, she grows up, she marries a, a man who's a pastor and they pastor a church. Then um, in her early fifties, her husband dies. Okay. She has lost her husband. She has also lost her role because she's no longer a pastor's wife. And this has been her calling. And there was an incredible disorientation for her around that. What is God doing? You know, how, how is it that God spoke to her as a child that this is what she was supposed to do? She's done this faithfully for decades. And then in a moment, her, her spouse is gone and her calling is gone, quote unquote. And so there was this massive disorientation and processing of grief, certainly from losing her life partner, for certain, grief of losing her pastor, the grief of the church for the suddenness of the passing of the, of the senior pastor, grief and losing her role. Where does she fit? Somebody else now is pastoring the church and she's no longer in that pastor's wife role. It, it seems unfaithful, kind of ridiculous to say, oh, she needs to go out and get married again, you know, so she can continue her calling. We wouldn't say that. Right. So, so that's a, that to me is a very um, poignant case of an early sense of calling to a specific role that life circumstances came along and just pulled the rug out from under her of that sense of calling. And it was a process. It was a good, oh, five years, it seemed to me, maybe even a little bit more as she found a way of expressing that role of being engaged in pastoral ministry where she was not the primary voice, the primary, she was not the the senior pastor in the pulpit, but she had these pastoral gifts and administrative gifts and, and a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom. And how, how was she now going to engage with those gifts that she would continue serving the church and serving God's God's work in the world with all that God had placed in her, but it wasn't going to look like that label pastor's wife anymore. Yeah, that's, that's a powerful story and example and all of the stuff that happens in life and Mm -hmm. God is still with us in it, right? It's not over. There's, there's, there's more to the journey. So thank you for sharing that. And you know, th- throughout the book, you offer really great practices, and we don't have time to go go through and into all of them. But I, I say that just to let people know that the book has a really great mix of story with Bible, with you know ideas about calling, with very practical ways, with you know Sabbath discernment rhythms. Um, you go into lament, even uh, having a spiritual director or mentor, that type of stuff. So I highly recommend people. You know, if if you're searching for calling or you're even if you feel like, oh, I've been called, but you're working with others, wherever it may be, I highly recommend going into it because we've only begun to sort of scratch the surface of everything that you did in the book. But as a final word of encouragement or, or challenge, what, what might you offer to listeners? I, I am so deeply, deeply, deeply convicted that 
all of God's children have a place in God's family business. God is at work in the world. God is actively engaged in the world. And God invites us to participate in that. I, I conclude the book in, my, in the conclusion. I use the, the analogy. I use Nehemiah's wall as an analogy. You know, and so in Nehemiah chapter three, we have this chapter that we tend to, at least when I've read Nehemiah, I tend to skim through, right? Because so, so-and-so to so through here to here, so-and-so built the wall, you know, from here to here, such and such a family built the wall from here to here, such as, you know, is this whole lineage, this whole list of which family built which bit of the wall and okay, skim over it and go on to the good stuff, you know, is how I tend to treat, treat Nehemiah chapter three, but, but thinking of that as an analogy, right? Nehemiah was doing something for the sake of nurturing the kingdom, nurturing, there was something to be built, uh, that was necessary, that was needful, to, restoration that needed to happen. You know, the gates were were burned. The place of, of commerce, the place of governance was demolished. You know, there was no security anymore. So, so Nehemiah was building something. So think of that as an analogy. You know, God is at work in the world, bringing restoration, restoring people and families and societies, restoring places of, of governance and, and economics and and building something in the world and Phil, there's a spot for you to build, you know, that's unique to you. I, I like this also paired with, with when Peter talks about us being living stones, being built up, right. You know, there, there will be this, when we see it from the perspective of eternity, I, 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 I want people to grasp that there's something for you to do. You contribute who you are. It comes out of who you are, who God has uniquely created you to be. And there's a spot on the wall that's your bit that you're going to build. And that you also are a living stone, that we are both the builders and the material that from which God is building, that we'll be able to look in eternity and say, there, there, see, there's the bit, there's my contribution. Uh, and it's, a, it's something only you can do that God has uniquely shaped for you to do. And that God is in process for a lifetime shaping you to contribute. Thank you. That's a beautiful, encouraging uh, last word to end with and encourage people to take that to heart, to believe that, to, to trust in that and, and to enter into that. Susan, if people want to go deeper with what you're up to and, and your other work, where can they go? Where can we send them? Well, you can go to susanlmeros.com. That's Susan Maros with the initial L in the middle. Uh, that's my website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at susanlmeros.com. I'm not super active in social media, but I'm around. Um, those are some places you can find me. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the, the book and I appreciate your time today. This was a blessing to me and, I, and I'm sure for those listening. So thank you again. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. Thanks for a great great conversation. 
Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just wanted to thank you once again for joining us for this episode today. I highly recommend checking out the show notes, the description below to find links to different things discussed in this episode, as well as to go deeper with Rua Space. Whether it's Patreon, where we have exclusive content and you can help support the podcast and the ministry, to setting up a free one-on-one spiritual direction call to discuss if spiritual direction would be right for you, what that process is is, what that is like, as well as our Christian Yoga YouTube channel and our Christ-Centered Yoga memberships with over 100 videos designed to help you grow in your relationship with God, feel more connected, feel more present, and hopefully feel a little better in your body as well. And finally, friends, if you enjoyed this episode today, we would be greatly honored and blessed if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us know how we are doing as well as reach more people. So friends, thank you again for being with us today. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged. And until next time, grace and peace be with you. Mm